Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Probably noticed that a lot of the seniors are not in the service now. It's because they've gone over to the middle school worship where they serve. And uh, so I've always appreciated their servant attitude and the way they are involved in so many ministries around uh, in the church. Well, we're in this series on finding God's plan, and we talked about prayer and how vital that is in discovering God's plan. And then we talked about brokenness, how God uses brokenness to guide and direct us towards total submission, to remove the things, the barriers that keep us from knowing God's plan. And then last week we talked about family and uh, certainly God's plan for the family and, and that he has a plan for that and how that fits in. And today we're going to get into this area of what true surrender looks like. Because it boils down to that in truly doing God's plan and knowing God's plan. In fact, I, I'm convinced that often we do not know God's plan until the true surrender has happened. Not always, but a lot of the time that, that that's the way it happens. So if I want to understand true surrender, I have to understand lordship. I have to understand sovereignty. Um, one of the laws of true surrender and lordship is that God is either Lord of all in your life or he's not Lord at all in your life. Uh, you cannot partial out lordship. You cannot say, which unfortunately a lot of believers do this, Jesus is Lord of my life, except for this little part over here. <clears throat> God's going to, I'll do whatever God wants me to, <clears throat> except right over here. And, and so we, we battle with that, and it's something we all struggle with. That makes a lot of noise. Uh, we, we struggle with that. And, and so what is that true surrender? And what is true lordship? So number one, if I'm going to truly surrender, then I have to accept the sovereignty of God. That he is Lord over everything, everything in my life. That he is sovereign over every aspect. He was sovereign over your birth. He's sovereign over your death. He's sovereign over the plans and purposes. He, I mean, he's sovereign. So either he's Lord of it all or he's not really sovereign. There was a guy in uh, Matthew 8 records this. It says suddenly, uh, so that means it, I think it caught Jesus, not Jesus, but his disciples off guard. Jesus and his disciples were together and suddenly caught him off guard. 
a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Now, I'm sure the disciples reacted to that. It's kind of like, whoa, leopards are not supposed to be near us. We might catch it. And, and, and it was, they were required, leopards were required to announce that they were unclean so that people would give them a wide berth because they, it was their responsibility to stay away from people. And so this leopard came to Jesus and he knelt before him. And, and then he said something that was pretty profound. He said, he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Well, that statement of if you are willing, he was acknowledging the sovereignty of Jesus in that moment. It's your decision. Sovereign. You have the ability and the power, sovereign. If you choose to, sovereign. If you want to, I know you can heal me. So I know it's all your choice. So he acknowledged the lordship and the sovereignty of Jesus just in his statement of, if you are willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. You know, I think some of you right now are in desperate need of real healing. I really believe that. Some of you are in need of healing in your marriage. Some of you need healing from your unbelief. Some of you need healing from your greed, your self-centeredness. Some of you need healing from a lying tongue or gossip. Guys, some of you need healing from pornography. Maybe you need healing from arrogance. And you need to be like this leopard because you have your, you have your own leprosy. And if you go to Jesus and said, if you're willing, I know you can heal me and, and you can make me clean. And I, I can promise you, Jesus is willing. He's proven that. So are you willing to take it to him? Are you willing to put it out there and just say, I need healing? Jesus um, clarified some things with the disciples. You know, I'll tell you, they, they, were always, they always seemed to be the last ones to get it. And, and Jesus, near the end of everything, before he was going back to heaven, he told them, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I mean, everything. Everything that is, I have authority over it. Now that's sovereign. That's lordship. And he was declaring to his disciples, you, you guys, you just need to know something. I am Lord. I am sovereign. God the Father has given me authority over everything that there is. And this is the Jesus that you and I say we worship. 
And if he has been given all authority, wow, that gives me incredible confidence to talk to him about anything, especially the things that I need to be healed from. You know, one of the things that we deal with is this thing called um, rebellion. We, we reject sovereignty, we reject authority, and we rebel. And at different times of life, you know, God, God has authority placed over us. You know, we're born into authority, the authority of our parents. And, and it's interesting when people reject that, they, they, when a child is totally rebellious and they reject the authority of their parents, then they're forcing God's hand to bring other authority at a stronger level. And, and so they, they have more authority placed upon them. In fact, the way we're set up as a society, if you just consistently, constantly rebel, eventually our society says, you don't have a right to live in our society anymore. We're putting you in a thing called prison. We're removing you from our society. Jesus made it clear he had all authority. So do I have a right to rebel against that? I'm, I'm, never, I'm not going to win that, right? I'm not going to ever win that argument. Now, let's take it a step further. There's an event that happened. And uh, it was pretty profound. Uh, it, wasn't, it was a, amazingly profound. There, there's only two times in Scripture when the word amazed or astounded, that doesn't seem appropriate, but it was applied to God. In the Old Testament, Israel was spiritually bankrupt. And the Bible says that God looked among his people to see who was praying for him to intervene on the spiritual dryness of his people. And the Bible says he was astounded that no one was praying. Now, obviously, it didn't catch God off guard. So, the way you and I would use the word amazed or astounded, we use it as, as an idea of surprised. God's never surprised. Um, it's, it's more of a reflecting a deep emotion. So when Israel was spiritually bankrupt, when the United States is spiritually bankrupt, and if, if you're wondering if we are or not, we are. God is looking to his people. So is he astounded or amazed that his people are not praying in such a spiritually dry time in the life of our nation? So that was the one incident in the Old Testament. Now there's a second incident in the New Testament. And here's the story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer, he's probably a centurion, which means he would have had 100 Roman soldiers under his authority. The centurions had a lot of power. And this Roman officer came and pleaded with him. So the idea of a Roman officer pleading with the Jew 
That was astounding in itself. He said, Lord, oh, he's identifying him as the Lord. He's saying, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and is in terrible pain. And, and he probably was near death. And, and Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, what happens next is astounding. But the officer said, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to have you to come to my home. I know this because uh, just say the word, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Oh my goodness. This guy seemed to understand something. I, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go and come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So this Roman soldier, the centurion, this officer, he understood authority. And my question to you is, do you understand the authority like he did? The authority of Jesus, who has the authority to heal you from what you need to be healed from. So here it is. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, astounded. Again, not surprised. Nothing surprises God. But more of deep, deep emotion. And turning to those who were following him, which included his disciples. He said, I tell you the truth, guys. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Now, I can just imagine what's going on in the mind of the disciples. They're going, wow, this is so cool. Wait a minute. He's talking about us. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe they were excited for a moment, but then they realized, oh, he's including us in that. Here's this non-Jew Roman officer having more faith than God's own people, including the disciples. Wow. So that gave Jesus deep emotion. It's like, you guys should be like this. You guys could learn. You God people can learn from this Roman soldier. Then Jesus went on to say, he said, I'll tell you this. Many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the feast in the kingdom of God. He's talking about salvation there. Basically, he's saying salvation is for everybody. There are going to be a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews, saved. Salvation is for everybody. And, and then he takes it a step further. He said, but many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, he's talking to the crowd who thought 
that their entry into God's kingdom was automatic just because they were born in the right family. They grew up in the synagogue. Therefore, they automatically got to go to heaven. And Jesus said, oh, no, that's not how this works. There are a lot of church members who think that just because they've gone through church rituals, they automatically go to, go to God's kingdom. And that's just not true. They think that their grandmother's faith can get them into heaven. And that's not true. So here's this Roman centurion. This is one of those times when I would say, I, you know, I've, all, I've said a lot of times, I said it would been so cool to be one of the disciples of Jesus. And now I'm saying it would have been so cool to have been like that Roman centurion that my faith would amaze Jesus. Hmm. When, when I accept the sovereignty of God, then my faith will have no bounds. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has past tense. It has happened. And the young servant was healed in that same hour. Uh, sometimes the Lord's healings comes not from the faith of the one being healed, but from the one who is asking for on their behalf. Well, that has a lot to say about intercessory prayer, doesn't it? Often God intervenes in a person's life because of the prayer of the one praying, not the one receiving. There's many of you in here today who are saved because somebody else was praying for you. And God responded to their faith to lead you to Jesus. Another thing that helps me with this uh, true surrender. And, and you know, true surrender to Jesus is when I say yes with next to nothing information. When I say yes to Jesus, yes to his will, yes to his purpose, and I know very little about it. Man, so contrary to the way we're raised and the way we think, we want all the details so we can have our pro and con list. I need to know the good things. I need to know the bad things so that I can make a wise decision. And, and um, I, I used to, you know, I was taught to do that. And I would always make a pro and con list and list all those things. And then I started realizing wherever you put the phrase God's will, that's what determined what you did. And, and you could have all these reasons why you should not do something, but if God's will is in the plus column and it's the only thing in the plus column, that's all that matters. None of this matters anymore. That's sovereignty. So instead of doing your pro and con list, maybe you just need to say, where do you want me to go? Just show me enough to take the first step. 
And a lot of times that's all he gives you is enough information to take the first step. Now let's get into one more story. There's a parable about the talents, which talks a lot about the tragedy of the wasted opportunity. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, in this story, Jesus is that man. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Maybe that's referring to when Jesus ascended into heaven and he's up in heaven, but one day he's going to come back. And so he's still on that journey. He gave five bags of silver to one. Now, a bag of a talent of silver weighed about 58 to 80 pounds, somewhere in that. So we're talking about a lot of money. And so one guy, he gave five bags worth of silver, another two bags, and then a third one bag. And get this phrase, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, when you... Be you became a believer. God gave you certain spiritual gifts. He never judges you based on spiritual gifts given to someone else. Only the spiritual gifts he gave you. He, he never compares you to someone else in terms of the talents that they have. Only to you. And he determines the abilities. So I never have to compare myself to someone else. I don't have to think that someone else is better than me and, or less than me. I mean, we're going to see in this story why that's really true. So here's what happened. He left on his trip, maybe ascended into heaven. The servant who received the five bags began to invest the money and he earned five more. So he doubled his money. Don't you wish your stocks could do that right now? <laughs> The circle of two bags, he went on to work and earned two more. He doubled his money. So they had the same result. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account on how they used his money. You see, the day's coming when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather us together. And he said, okay. How did you use the spiritual gifts I gave you? And the servant who had entrusted five bags of silver came forward and said, here's five more master. And he gave him, and he gave him, he said, master, the five bags you gave me, I've earned five more. So he brought 10 bags to the master. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Wow. He considered that a small amount. And by comparison, I guess it would be. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant who received two bags, he came, said the same thing. And the master, get this, get this. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Exact same words. So the response and the reward. So this is important. Don't miss this. The reaction from Jesus, the, the, the owner here, 
is exactly the same. Regardless of the amount of the abilities and talents. Don't miss that. The rewards from Jesus for you as a believer are exactly the same. So don't compare yourself to someone else. It's not about the amount you're given. It's what you do with what you've been given. And the response is the same from Jesus. Now let's look at the third guy. Then the servant with the one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Let's stop right there. He obviously did not know his master. There are a lot of church people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes when I have people ask me questions, their question lets me know they don't know Jesus. They don't know what the Bible says. And some people, believers, who say they're believers, think that God's a harsh God. He's out to get them. He's waiting for them to mess up so he can strike them down. Uh, They think God is just waiting for them to mess up so he can get them. And, And that's not God at all. But some people in the church have that view of God. That servant definitely did. But it was totally wrong. In verse 25, it really showed um, the heart of this guy. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. He could have at least put it in the bank and gotten some interest. You know why he didn't do that? I think it's because he was hoping the servant, uh, the the master would never come back. And you see, if he deposited in the bank, it would have a name attached to it. So everybody would know whose money it was. But by hiding it in the ground, there was no proof of ownership. He He was a little deceptive guy, wasn't he? He was betting on the master not returning and then he could dig up the money and it would be his. You see, sometimes church people act like Jesus is not coming back. Or they think they've got plenty of time to get their act together. We're going to be held responsible. What what have you done? What have you done with what God has blessed you with? Don't think you have plenty of time. Now look at the end result. Take the money away from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who will use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even with what little they have, will be taken away. Now here's where it really gets bad for the church 
remember. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness. Now, he, this guy's not a believer. So don't think this happens to believers. This is not true. This is a person who pretended to be a believer. Throw this useless servant into the outer darkness, which is another way of saying far as you can get away from the light. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus has says that a couple of times, and he's always referring to the conditions of hell. Not a fun place. Gnashing, weeping, and it never stops. So this servant had little, and even what he had, he lost. And he was eternally separated from the family of God. If you're going to totally surrender, you have to show personal obedience regardless of the cost. Jesus said, um, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. So here, here's some simple steps. Well, let me take that back. These are not simple. But here are some progressive steps about surrender. One, you, you begin to seek God. That's the starting point. And, and then at some point you desire to put God first. That's what you hope to happen. But as soon as you decide that, there's a wrestling stage that you go through. You start wrestling with this on a daily basis. I'm not sure I really want to give this up. And, and then usually after that, you have a partial surrender. Okay, I'm tired of wrestling. We got about it. I'm going to give God control of this, but not this. But after a while, you begin to realize that doesn't work either. And you finally say, I'm going to give total surrender. I'm going to give God my Sundays and my Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. I'm going to give God my life, my business, my finances, my family. I'm giving it all to him. And when you reach that total surrender stage, then that's when you have real peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. That's when you experience that kind of peace. And here's a surrender truth. When Christ is in the center of your life, the circumference will take care of itself. <clears throat> you never have to worry about that. Once you settle this issue, this takes care of itself. <clears throat> so the question is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your family? Lord of your business? Is he Lord of your dating life? Is he Lord of your plans? 
the ultimate surrender that we have in Scripture was in that garden the night Jesus was arrested. <clears throat> he said, not my will, but yours. That's the ultimate expression of, of surrender. Have you really gotten to that point where you've said that about everything in your life? Not my will, but yours. If you really want to know God's plan for your life, you've got to get to that spot. Not my will, but yours. Let me pray.